You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. All right, well, uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Robert Donaldson III. Um, I've been part of New Life for about 10 to 12 years now, been on staff for about 10 years on and off. Um, Helped out with the mill in the earlier part of the decade, sort of helped it when it was just meeting in the tag chapel with Aaron Stern and Glenn Packham and I, just a couple of guys. And it's been amazing to see how it's grown and what all's happened and uh, just the work that continues to happen every Friday nights and on Sunday mornings. Really love that. Um, I can tell you a little bit about myself. I am the creative director here at the church. I'm in charge of all the productions and a lot of the video announcements and graphics and Thorn and Christmas and things like that. My wife is 27 weeks pregnant. Um, If you've never had a pregnant wife before, you might not know how pregnant that is. Uh, I know before I was married or had kids, I had no idea what any of the pregnancy talk meant. I didn't know what 27 weeks That's sort of six and a half months. It means the baby's getting pretty close. But I've noticed with pregnancy, there's all this sort of um, specific pregnancy talk that goes into it, especially when we are having the baby. All of a sudden, I'm making phone calls and trying to figure out what to do. And they're like, you know, when you're pregnant, you just talk about your body. You just do. And so I was on the phone with, like, a friend. And they're like, well, how far apart are the contractions? And I was like... I don't know, a couple of minutes, and it was getting sort of personal, and they're like, well, how dilated is she? And I was like, I don't know, how dilated are you? And so, uh, you know, but once you have a kid, we have one little baby, and we're second one's on the way, so you get sort of comfortable with that. Um, Well, what we're going to be talking about that Joe uh, hinted at this morning is some contemporary issues in church, and so what I want you to do first is take about one minute at your tables and just discuss Why do you, and it could be you personally or sort of the universal you, but why do you go to church? Take one minute and discuss. Why do you go to church? Why are you here this morning? This one for passing around. Yeah. 
right. Um, I figure it's a, gr- a great idea to come to church just because um, it seems like there's a lot of joy, a lot of love going on, and it just seems like um, like you just want to be with everybody else because you want the same joy that you see from people that are all connected in the church. Christians, we started right on Sunday, the, sort of the beginning of our week. Uh, the Sabbath was sort of at the end of the week. It was a time to comp- t- contemplate, but certainly a way to get in the Word, uh, learn, worship, and focus your week. That's Those are all really great reasons. I, um, I grew up in church. My dad was a preacher. He was a minister of a sort of smaller church around three to four hundred uh, growing up. It, it grew a little bit more from there, but for me, Growing up, church was just part of my life. It's what we did. When my dad first started church, we had to go, and every Sunday morning, we set up chairs in this small room. We, um, you know, it was part of what we did. It was where our money came from. If tithes were good, if not, then uh, I had to go work a part-time job as an eight-year-old. And so uh, it was just a lot of, you know, church was everything to me. It was what our whole life revolved around. And then I had friends at school growing up, but for me, my church friends were the really good friends. They were the ones we had lock-ins. Has anyone ever been to a lock-in? Man, they should never let those happen. Those are... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> those are bad. Uh, but went to lock-ins, uh, had those crazy times. And as it started going for me, eventually, uh, especially when I got into high school, church was sort of where my friends were, where my social circle was. And I sort of forgot the um, other reasons to go to church. It was just kind of, I liked the community. I sort of listened to the sermon, sort of checked out. But mostly I was there for friends and for people. It sort of really manifested itself in the worst possible way. Uh, my dad, we were sort of charismatic, non-denominational church. And so after the services, um, they would have a prayer team up there and they'd pray for people for any issues going on in life and whatever else. And so I really wanted to ask my mom if we could go to the mall because in junior high, it's kind of where you hung out at the mall. And so I said, okay, we want to go to the mall. Wanted to go talk to my mom, but someone intercepted me and said, Robbie, can I just pray for you? So they started praying for me. Well, my friends were leaving in like one minute and I didn't know now if I could go to the mall or not. So I came up with a plan, and uh, whenever I come up with a plan, it's usually a bad thing. So she's praying for me, and I just go out like I'm slain in the spirit. So I can go, and then so when, when she leaves, I walk over and talk to my mom and then sneak out and go to the mall. And so, I know, <laughs> I mean, that's, your faces were horrified. I mean, that's probably, <laughs> I might as well have killed a cat or something, kicked a puppy. <laughs> No, but seriously, it was, for me, church more and more became just something that 
um, especially during my high school years. It was a place where friends were. It was sort of a place, but it, was, it just became other things than some of the great reasons that you guys talked about. And I think in our lives sometimes, if we're not careful, particularly I think when people first start going to church or once you've gone to church for quite a long time, it's easy to go to church and sort of be part of a church community for reasons other than sort of the good, noble reasons like praying together, like having a worship service, like building godly relationships. There's sort of some other uh, reasons to do that. And um, when I was, for a couple years, I served on the mill and then moved out to LA, did my grad school at UCLA. And when I was out there, I was sort of really interested and uh, I was visiting around other churches and I was thinking, why do people go to churches? What are some of the reasons? And so I decided to, uh, after thinking about these issues enough, decide to write a book and sort of tell a story all about this. So I'm going to read a little bit from this book. It's called um, The Almost True Story of Ryan Fisher. And it's about a guy who's a real estate agent who essentially doesn't believe in God or anything else, and just goes to church for his own selfish reasons. And so I'm going to read this chapter. We're going to have a little bit of Mill Literary Society this Sunday morning, and then we'll discuss it, all right? So this is sort of back to story time when you're in elementary school. Picture the teacher on the carpet and the grape Kool-Aid and all that sort of stuff. And uh, follow along with me, if you would, uh, on this topic. Chapter number one, the ad with the Jesus fish. Even though Ryan Fisher didn't believe in God, he placed an ad in the Christian business directory. There are a number of reasons Ryan decided to mark himself as a realtor to Christians, but the main reason was his desire to become the most successful real estate agent in Denver. Ryan was one of the best natural salesmen to ever work for Phillips and Sons Realty. He could sell ice to an Eskimo, not because he tricked the Eskimo into thinking he needed more ice. The Eskimo was smarter than that. The Eskimo could look around and see there was plenty to build uh, igloos with and to keep sodas cold. But he would buy ice from Ryan because Ryan was so likable. The Eskimo would find every excuse to run out of ice just so Ryan would come by and they could talk about football and joke around. The Eskimo would even catch himself thinking that he and Ryan could build a lasting friendship, the type where they'd have families over for barbecues and they'd watch the kids play croquet in the backyard as the sun set. Unfortunately, there are very, very few Eskimos in Denver, which is too bad because Ryan was in a slump. His charm and personality didn't seem to be enough anymore. He hadn't closed on a house in a month. Despite his past success, he's beginning to feel like a complete failure, as if he were a surgeon who'd lost 10 straight appendicitis patients, or a guy who asked every girl in high school to prom only to be rejected by them all, or new coke. The story begins shortly after another day where promising real estate leads crumbled into disappointing failures for Ryan Fisher. It was his 28th birthday, but he didn't want to celebrate. He wanted to crawl into bed and disappear. He wouldn't get a chance. Surprise! Ryan walked through the front door and saw streamers, friends in pointing hats, cake, and roll-out paper whistles. It was time to party. He should have felt touched that his wife, Catherine, went to all this trouble. She'd probably spent week organizing this get-together. He needed to act grateful. He needed to push his bad day out of his mind so he could mingle with his friends, his successful friends, with their exciting careers and great stories. He was turning 28. He'd been at the real estate game for five years, and he was average. He'd worked hard as a great salesman, but things were about as good as they were going to get for Ryan. He never got the lucky break, the right connections, and now his life was destined to spiral into mediocrity. There'd be nothing left but work and two weeks of vacation a year, and even then he w- there wouldn't be money for Greek Isle cruises or Bahamas Beach House. He'd have to settle for road trips to Iowa and last-minute discount fares to Delaware. Then, in the end, there'd be nothing left to look forward to except for retirement and death. 
After the party, he tried to fall asleep next to his wife, but he closed his eyes, seeing a picture of his friends cruising around in a yacht, sipping fruity drinks with umbrellas, while he and Catherine were in a tugboat. All of Ryan's friends were wearing white pants and laughing at Ryan. Then, thankfully, the yacht cruised out of sight, leaving Ryan and Catherine to drift and stare at each other. Ryan got out of bed, walked downstairs, flopped on the couch, limply aimed the remote at the cable box, and flipped through all late-night television on to offer. There wasn't much. One channel had cooking gadgets. The next had Chuck Norris pitching exercise equipment. Ryan decided that people wanted two things late at night, to get fat or to get skinny. He finally settled on a rerun of Dateline chronicling the journey of a megachurch in Nashville. As Ryan watched, he couldn't help but notice that all the Christians seemed so happy. They laughed at the pastor's jokes as if he were Jeff Foxworthy. They smiled and sang songs and thrust their hands high in the air. It was like they were begging for affordable but classy starter homes. The segment closed with these magic words. There are 80 million people in America who call themselves evangelical Christians. 80 million people, and every one of them needs a house, Ryan thought. This was it. This was the answer. Christians. These people wouldn't flake out, wouldn't walk out on a deal in the closing table. They'd be kind and honest and naive. They'd be extremely easy to sell small, big, and medium-sized houses to. He'd be Ryan Fisher, realtor to Christians, and he'd be rich and successful. Christians were everywhere, and they were going to put him on the map. The next morning, he was a new man. His coffee tasted richer, the sun looked brighter, his shower made him feel cleaner, and even the traffic jam seemed pleasant, as if it were a big party with all the other Christian motorists. But then Ryan realized he had no idea how to sell to Christians. So when he got to the office, he cracked open the phone book, flipped through the yellow pages, and learned how complicated Christianity is. He discovered that all of the churches had names that sounded spiritual, but Ryan had no clue what they meant. There were lists of churches that gathered in different parts of town with similar labels. Assembly of God, Baptist, Calvary Chapel, Episcopal, Evangelical Free, Foursquare Gospel, Lutheran, Open Bible, Our Lady of Guadalupe. Then... There were churches that had church or some allusion to church or God in the title, but didn't seem to belong to any specific group. Abundant Life Center, Fellowship Christian Church, Fruitful Believers Church, Mosaic, and the pointing people to Jesus place. When people converted, Ryan wondered how they decided what brand of Christianity they would join. It seemed a lot like it would take a lifetime to understand all these versions of Christianity, but Ryan didn't have a lifetime, so he started calling churches. Most of them didn't understand exactly what Ryan was asking. Every conversation went something like this. I have an offer for Christians. An offer? Something to sell, like real estate. You want to sell real estate to Christians. Click. But Ryan was persistent, and he wouldn't give up easily. He had already spent 20 minutes calling churches. He could go for another five. His determination paid off when he got on the phone with a receptionist for Fellowship Christian Church. I want to sell real estate to Christians. Ryan spiel had become considerably shorter. Oh, you're calling about the Christian business directory, the receptionist said. Ryan could hear the angel singing. Yes, the Christian business directory. That's exactly what I'm looking for. What sort of business are you in? Real estate? Would you like to place an ad? I would love to. What nor... What would you like in it? What normally goes in a Christian ad? Well, a lot of people put the ichthus on their ad. Ichthus is the fish that symbolizes Christians. You've probably seen it on the back of cars. The Jesus fish. Yes, sir. The Jesus fish. Yeah. I'll take one ad with my face, with my face and the Jesus fish next to it. The ad works like hotcakes. His voicemail is flooded with Christians looking to buy and sell real estate. Ryan quickly learned a couple things. He learned Christians wanted to live in neighborhoods with other Christians. They want to move into homes where Christians have lived before so they can be assured their new home doesn't have a history of residents who struggle with worldly things like alcohol and crack. <laughs> he learned Christians are thrilled to do with 
business with someone who has the same values as they do. So being in the Christian business directory meant Ryan had to pretend to be a Christian and agree, or at least act as if he agreed, with Christian ideals and values. Ryan knew he didn't really believe in a higher power, and a client would occasionally make a frightening political statement, but these were small things. What's important is I'm putting people in a good home, he told himself. And it was fun being a Christian. It was like being part of a club. It wasn't an exclusive club like the Mickey Mouse Club or a country club. Christianity was a club that was always excited to find new members. When clients asked Ryan how long he'd been a Christian, he was as honest as he could when he said he'd just recently become one. Ryan was scared they might lash out at him, tie him up to a post and scream, how dare you take out an ad with a Jesus fish when you've just become a Christian. But the opposite was the true. The newer the Christian he was, the better. When he told one client he'd become a Christian in the last month, she broke into tears and gave him a hug on the spot. Ryan felt so warm inside he thought his heart was smiling. All it took was one ad with a Jesus fish, and Ryan drummed up more business than he'd ever thought possible. Just a few weeks ago, finding clients was some great mystery for Ryan. He knew people were buying and selling homes. He just didn't know how they found each other. Ryan loitered around Starbucks and playgrounds, and he put his names on the side of benches and bus stops. Then he invested in a billboard. It seemed oddly powerful to have his face hovering over the freeway, smiling at people as they drove to work. But the ads hadn't worked, and Ryan could no longer afford to pay for his freeway advertising lifestyle. Soon, an ad for Coors covered his face. Other people might have been happy to see his billboard go, but every time Ryan passed those blonde bikini girls playing tackle football in the snow, he couldn't help but feel depressed. But none of that mattered anymore. He was a Christian now, a Christian realtor. Still, things weren't perfect. Ryan was scared someone would ask him something everyone Christian should know, and when he didn't know, they would call him a pagan, rip his name out of the Christian business directory, put feet on his Jesus fish, and he would have to sell to people who believed in Darwin. (laughs) But there was something else, something deeper that bothered him about selling affordably priced real estate to Christians. When he did business with them, it was as if they expected something. Christians expected the cheaper deal. They expected not to have to pay as high as a realtor fee. They expected to know when the best house was on the market, and they expected Ryan to hook them up. Ryan wanted to confess that he was in this solely for business reasons, but he could never say something like that. If he did, people would know for sure he wasn't a Christian. The first, idea that, the first question that threw Ryan off came from Stan, a Baptist. Ryan had no idea what it meant to be a Baptist, but he thought the Sanders house would be perfect for Stan and his family. That side of the house was painted with burgundy and beige trim and had a pond in the backyard where Stan's kids could create, breed giant goldfish. Inside, there were tiny hardwood floors, three and a half bathrooms, and two fireplaces. Ryan was ready to ask a question about the Sanders home when Stan asked, where do you go to church? Fellowship Christian Church, Ryan blurted. It was the first name that came to him. He remembered the ad in the phone book had, blue, had a blue sky, clouds, and a picture of a dove holding an olive branch flying through a window. It was very serene. Who's the pastor there? Uh, I forgot his name. Forgot? We've just started going. Where'd you go before? What are you, some sort of investigator for the Taliban? Isn't where I go to church between God and me, Ryan thought? This is what he wanted to say. But he's learning being a Christian meant never saying what you really thought out loud. So instead, he just said, I just became a Christian. Stan wasn't impressed by Ryan's recent conversion. He simply asked, how'd you get saved? Ryan wanted to think of a clever lie, but he couldn't because he had no idea what Stan was asking. Ryan didn't know you had to get saved somewhere. He decided to become a Christian the same way people become Red Sox fans. He jumped on the bandwagon. He liked all the people, the culture, and he wanted to be part of all the fun. He wanted to hang out with, sell real estate to, all the smiling, laughing people he saw on TV. So Ryan was honest and told Stan... I don't know. All right. So this is obviously sort of a satire that points out some big ideas. But here's what I want you to do for a moment. 
take a moment and discuss. Now, we've discussed some of the reasons that you go to church, but I want you to take two or three minutes and discuss some of the Ryan Fisher reasons that people go to church. Some of the reasons that may not be as pure or noble or, um, you know, sort of honest as the reasons we went. So take about two, three minutes. Go ahead. Discuss. What are some Ryan Fisher reasons that people go to church? Okay, take one or two more minutes. What are Ryan Fisher reasons people go to church? And is that bad? Are those bad or wrong reasons necessarily?
All right, good. Okay, let's. I want to hear it. I'm really curious. What are some of the Ryan Fisher esque reasons that people come to church? All right, we've, Joe, we got a hand right here. We'll start with my man. Dating. Dating. <laughs> you want to elaborate on that at all? Guys come to meet girls and girls come to meet guys. What? Really? Is that true? Um, yeah, I think, I think that is true. Okay, let me ask you this. Is that wrong? Is that bad? What are the wrong reasons to meet girls or... Okay. Yeah, I think, uh, I don't know if you guys could hear him, but what he was saying is uh, you shouldn't be, at this, at this phase in life, you shouldn't just be going and messing around or whatever else if you're not ready to sort of, one, be serious, and two, if it's not uh, honoring to God. I'd, I'd like to hear a couple other, because I know especially at this age, the dating thing is big, and so maybe another perspective or two on it. Yeah. Um, going to church to be able to meet someone isn't necessarily in and of itself wrong, as long as that's not your main goal. Um, if your main goal is to meet God and you happen to meet someone else, I would say that church is probably the best place to meet someone because they're more liable to have a heart after God and you'd be, um, you would be able to better avoid the unequally yoked scenario. And so the church, I would say church is a good place to meet people, but that shouldn't be your reason for going to church. Your main reason should still be to focus on God. Yeah, I think that's a great uh, way to put it. I think the heart intention is really, really um appropriate here. I remember when I used to work at the mill, we had first started and we're like, we'll put out these toasters and bagels and sort of see if that catches on. And there was always like this one guy by the bagel and he sort of had gold chains and like one button undone on his shirt. And he sort of walked like this and I called him, (laughs) sorry if you're still in here, dude, but, uh, (laughs) but I called him bagel guy. And you could just kind of see that this guy, he wasn't really as interested in uh, Aaron's exegesis on Luke as he was um, the people, particularly the girls, sort of getting bagels. And so um, I, I think that, that that's exactly right on. A lot of what this has to do is heart intent, and it's sort you're going to meet people naturally. One of the things that one of the tables talked about earlier was community and the importance of community. And obviously you're going to meet people. Obviously uh, at this stage in life you're going to be dating, and so I don't think that's bad necessarily. But if your intention is bagel guy intention, then I think that can really be uh, it, it. It can one, one a couple coaching tips. One, it's just creepy. Um, <laughs> the girls aren't going to like you anyway, and so stop it. Uh, and two, it's it's totally warped. It's totally the wrong heart intention. And so if it's more, if you're coming to church more as, um, to be part of the community, to learn, to grow in your faith versus I'm sort of looking, what Ryan Fisher was doing specifically is looking, what can I get out of people? What can I get out of Christians? It was very selfish. It was completely self-centered of looking, uh, out for himself, looking to get something from other people. Uh, A couple other thoughts. 
couple other thoughts of reasons people go to church. Okay, right up here. Oh, um, right there. I've even seen non-Christian guys that they would go to, they'd find out when these major church events are at, like, big churches just because they want, like, innocent church girls. Yeah. Yeah, I think there are. I think that's definitely out there of people who it's like, hey, it's, I mean, the mill, one, I remember when, uh, we were first starting the mill. We thought it's crazy to have it on a Friday night because everyone goes out and does stuff on Friday night. Now Friday nights at the mill are the place to be. And so with that, there is going to be that thing. And that's why, one, we uh, people who come to the mill, there is going to be that factor. But if we're keeping our hearts clean and sort of guarding our hearts, it'll help to guard against that. Yeah. Just like status. So just saying that you went is supposed to make you a better person. Oh, that's a great one. Maybe your life isn't really exemplary of that. So it's kind of a waste. That's a great kind of the church punch card. Kind of I did my good deed for the week. I went to church. Now I can be whoever else that I want. It sort of makes you feel good. It makes you feel better about yourself. And so it doesn't really have anything to do with engaging in your faith or encountering God, but just status. I haven't heard that one before. I like that. Yeah. I think people go because they're lonely sometimes, or they want to be part of, like, the in crowd. Yeah. Ryan did. And uh, the mill can kind of be like a club, but less threatening, so it's easier for people to come. And uh, I think that's not a—that can be a selfish reason to go, but, I mean, it's also— it's also a good reason to go if you surround yourself by Christian people, you know? So it's, it's a little bit in between. I think it's a, a selfish motive that God can use. And eventually, like, still, I mean, people who go to the mill for completely legitimate reasons, if they don't go to the mill, they're going to be lonely, you know? But that's not the primary reason they go. And they, not only do they look for, like, acceptance and love from other people, but they're, they're looking to give that back to their friends as well. Yeah, that's, that's really good. There's sort of a process that happens. And you can start with one reason and then... Go from there. I want to talk about that a little bit more, but I want to hear one or two more reasons. These are great. Um, <clears throat> I mentioned that uh, there were some, a couple of guys uh, that came to our church back out in the rural areas, uh-huh. and they were actually running from the law, so they came to hide. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good place to hide from the police. Wow. <laughs> There are police at the doors. Uh, if that is you, please leave now. <laughs> I've never heard that one either. That's <laughs> okay. One more. One more reason. Um, Aaron said this a couple of times, but um, fire insurance. Mm. People go to church twice a year because their entire family has done this ever since they were knee high to a toadstool, and they do it more out of tradition than out of anything else, not out of an actual care and a love for what goes on there, but just to make sure that for the rest of the year they're 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 clear and okay with God. Yeah. So they have their in, so they're going to be fine when the fire comes. Yeah, that's absolutely a legitimate reason that will go on in people's hearts. And I think everything that we hit on here is great and exactly what I was looking for. There's fire insurance. There's sort of this loneliness, sense of community. There's hiding from the law. Um, (laughs) I'll never forget that one. Uh, But I think there's all these reasons that people do it. And part of the reason that I want to tell this story is because I think when we first come to church, especially if we've never been, we can't expect people to come in and walk in with a completely pure heart and just get it right away. We can't expect people to just, okay, they walk in, say the prayer, and then all of a sudden they're, you know, 
their motives are completely pure. A lot of times that we go to church and the reasons that we walk through the door, the reason that we go to the mill, the reason that we come to mill Sunday school, those reasons won't be as pure as at first. And it's a journey to getting to know God better. But I wrote down kind of four of my own ways to sort of guard against these ideas. And I think this is I said this a little earlier, but this is particularly important for two groups of people. One, when you're sort of baby, brand new Christian, when you first start going to church, uh, when you're first starting getting involved in church, you can sort of not really get it and have those self-centered reasons to get involved. And then once, kind of like I was telling with my horrible slain in the spirit story, once you start going and getting really involved, if you don't find ways to stay engaged and stay connected, then it can, you can just kind of become numb to it. And you just go for, like you said, the social club to meet people the free bagels and coffee, whatever sort of your reasons to go. You sort of just hang around long enough to see where people are going to lunch afterwards, to see what the movie is uh, after the mill or whatever else. And so you can have those reasons. But here's four big ideas to sort of guard your heart against that. Number one, engage in your faith outside of church. Engage in your faith outside of church. The scriptures talk quite a bit about this, particularly into finding ways to read your Bible. And uh, I love the Bible plan. Who, who all was doing the Bible plan that Joe was talking about? Ooh, all right, nice. Yeah, I think something like that. And there's lots of great Bible plans. If you don't have one, you can talk to the uh, Sunday school leadership team here and hear all about different ones. Or you can just go down to the bookstore at New Life or any Christian bookstore. You can find Bibles, reading plans. They have online. They're great. So number one, uh, engage in your faith, particularly the scriptures. Joshua 1.8 says this, Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Psalm 119 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. And these... These scriptures talk about the importance of the Bible should just be part of our daily life. If we're going and, like you said, if it's just fire insurance, if it's just sort of getting our spiritual fix and then leaving, that sort of leads to our faith becoming really shallow, to there not becoming much there. I liked what the guys at this table said, which is it's sort of church is the way to start off your week right, to sort of get your week centered. But that's not the only point. That's not the only time it happens. If it happens throughout your week uh, and prayer time and worship uh, through a small group, those are the ways. I know for me, when I went kind of my testimony that I was talking about earlier in high school, sort of got disconnected. And it wasn't until college when I found a group of friends and we started reading scriptures together. We started going out to Starbucks or just hanging out and talking about these big ideas. Then it wasn't my parents' faith. It wasn't mom and dad's faith. It was my faith. It was some, this was my religion. This was, you know, Jesus working in my life. It wasn't what someone else was telling me. It was me reading the scriptures, me praying, me owning it. And that made, that made it be centered and helpful for me. Uh, number two way to sort of fight against those uh, sort of insincere motives of coming to church is engage in the service. Find ways to engage in the service. So when you walk into church, uh, when you're worshiping, if you're going to be there, if you're going to be standing in the worship circle service anyway, don't be bagel guy looking around at all the girls or anything else. Really be there standing however you worship, but give your heart 
contemplate the words as you sing them. Think about them. We have this amazing uh, worship team here at New Life. Some of the songs that they write, sometimes even for me, I can just uh, sing them, but sometimes I'll sit down or I'll be singing there and I'll really just be reading the words, thinking about the significance of them and how powerful they are. And so for me, when I sing them, it is my own prayer. It is my own cry. And so during that worship time, really make it. Uh, During the sermon, when Pastor Brady, when Aaron, when uh, Joe's teaching Sunday school, don't be thinking about where you're going to go to lunch. Don't let your brain disconnect, but really kind of find a goal. Take notes. Say, I'm going to walk away with one big idea here. Find a way to engage. It's really, really easy to come to church, stay in the hallway a little bit too long, leave a little bit early, but if you find ways to engage, then it'll make it your own. Uh, And sort of the third big idea is this. Treat people as people first. Uh, When I was in L.A., one thing that happened was uh, everyone was, especially in the industry, when I was out there, I went to UCLA and I was doing some screenwriting. And so I'd go to industry parties or industry events and things like that. And the funny thing that happened was it was so easy just to be a walking business card. It was so easy. You're just walking around because you're so desperate to make it and find your in. And so I was a screenwriter. And so everyone I did, I was just like, I'd introduce them and I'd say, they'd say, what do you do? I'd say, my name's Rob Stinn and I'm a screenwriter. I'd pass out a card. I'd sort of really try to like, no matter where the conversation was going, if we were talking about weather or politics or sports, I'd be like, like, yeah, speaking of sports, I wrote a great screenplay about the apocalypse. And so it's really awesome. Uh, I picture Brad Pitt and Toby Maguire as uh, attached to it. And so, you know, and so I would always just sort of skew that conversation. It was always, I was never talking and listening to someone. I was always at those parties. And this was something that I just sort of learned in LA. I just would always guide the conversation to my own goods. And I watched, and the reason I did that was because I watched everyone else doing it. And after I'd leave those sort of industry events, I felt so awful. I was like, this is a human being with family and problems and everything else. And all I'm looking at them at is a business card. What can you do for me? And that's the only way that they're looking at me. If we do that in church, uh, when we're walking around the hallways, sometimes if you're in business, a lot of times that will happen. Um, That can happen that you can look at people like that. But sometimes you can just go, you can be talking to someone and all you're thinking about is I've got to go meet my friends. And so I'm just going to have that, you know, quick one or two minute conversation so I can blow on by and meet my friends or whatever. Else, when you when you encounter someone there, when you're talking with them, if you're having the conversation already, take a moment and really engage with that person. Talk with them. At, ask them how they're doing. You never know. Um, Pastor Brady talks about this and talks to this about the, talks to the staff about this all the time. But you never know the type of person who will come across your path and what you can do for them or why God might have brought them ac- across your path. If you'll just take a second and be really sincere. Ask the questions. And when you ask the questions, stop and listen to the answers. I think those are the sort of authentic community. Those are the type of relationships that I have seen happening in the mill. And if you do that, then... Um, those will be those will be really life changing, and you never know the person you can impact. I want to read real quick from chapter John, oops, verse two, starting at verse thirteen. Actually, starting at verse fourteen. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip out of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he pounded the coins of the money changer and overturned their tables. And as he saw those who sold the pigeons, he said, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And so 
this was this is one of the only times in the Bible. This is actually the I direct the uh, Thorn every year. It's the Easter production, and uh, Mark Russell, who was our first Jesus, he actually wanted to get a whip and start like going around and whipping some of the Pharisees and things like that. And I thought, I don't know if I really want Indiana Jones Jesus. That might be like. A little bit too much, a little bit too far. But Mark, Mark would always say, this is the time in the Bible when Jesus got the absolute most passionate. This is the most, not, pa- not just passionate, but angry. He was flipping over tables. We actually have him go and, and block the scenes. He flips over the tables, throws the coins. This is when Jesus really went, you know, Chuck Norris angry at the church. This is the, the only time that, uh, one of the only times that we ever saw it, not when people were beating him, not anything else. This was the time that he stood up and was angry. And there's, I was reading a lot of different studies on this and why that happened. But part of the reason was because once things get too businessy, once things get too centered focused, once things get too me focused, it's easy for the whole, for the whole, uh, mentality of the church to change. And the people who are the money changers, a lot of them were the people who should have been ministering. They should have been taking care of people. Now, what they were changing money for was they were buying sacrifices to take into the temple. And that was a perfectly legitimate sort of business transaction. They did need those sacrifices, but there were other people to do that. And there were other places to do that. At church, it was a place to come to contemplate, to pray, and to really focus on God. And so I think if we make that our cry, that's what we do, then uh, that'll help keep those motivations clear. That'll help uh, keep our motivations right and pure and holy of why we step into church. All right? So that's sort of the big idea I want to share with you. We'll pray, and then I'll have Joe close us up. Father God, I thank you so much for Mill Sunday School, Lord, this group that meets on Sunday mornings to grow deeper in you, to learn more about you, Lord, and to uh, expand their faith, Lord. I pray as we go and as we continue to go to come to church, Lord, as we go into service this morning, Lord, that we really would engage in the service, that we would find ways to walk away with some insight that you've given us, Lord, that when we worship, we'd worship with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, Lord. We love you so much, Father, and we give this up to you in your name. Amen.